Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that features film disasters, not global disasters. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching across a variety of streaming services. We'll talk real news and our main review is box office bomb, Moonfall, directed by Ronald Emmerich. Roland. What did I say? Ronald. Oh, rock. <laughs> <laughs> did like your pronunciation of his surname, though. So. Thank you. Yeah. How are you, Daniel? I'm all right. I'll let you in on something. This week, we've acquired a new listener. Um, now, I, I've probably not said on this podcast, I work within tech. Yeah, I'm one of them geeks. And companies often reach out to offer their services. That comes with the territory. But this week, I encountered the slickest approach to sales that I have ever seen. <laughs> because I make mention of this podcast on my LinkedIn page. And I got an email that was titled, Episode 80, I Put My Cat Down. And I thought, what is this about? And this guy has reached out and said, oh, I've just been listening to your podcast, stumbled across it this morning. I'm loving the dry humour. I watch White Lotus, blah, 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 blah. Really good podcast. Keep up the good work. If you have 15 to 20 minutes to discuss some of our services, blah, blah, blah. I was like, what? What is this? You have found a surefire way of feeding my ego. So congrats to you, sir, of, of finding a clever way of ensuring that I took your email. Seriously. I've just got mad respect for how he went about that. And he, he might be listening. We've got a meeting next week. And I do intend on listening to you, Jamie. I will listen to the offering because <laughs> you made the effort with me. So thank you. And nice to see we've got a new listener there. Maybe one episode only, but. Yeah, maybe one minute of one episode. <laughs> it all adds to the download stats, so I'll take it. Yeah, okay. What have you been watching this week? I've watched Reacher on Amazon Prime in full on a website that aggregates new streaming releases. This has been the top release, so popular. It's an adaptation of the first Jack Reacher book, which I have read. I have read the book upon which this program is based on. So I'm qualified to give an opinion with my literary knowledge. It's Killing Floor, the first one. Is this a podcast first? What, the, where I've read the book? Yeah. It might be, yeah. What a momentous yeah. occasion. Anyway, sorry for interrupting. Continue. Jack Reacher is an ex-military police officer, and he arrives into the town of Margrave to learn about a jazz musician. He's quickly arrested for murder, and then he gets into investigating the murder and the surrounding conspiracy as the bodies pile up. I'm highly knowledgeable on this because I have read the book and I can say that it's a faithful adaptation. Not all the dialogue is the same. I know because I have all the dialogue memorized. I've read the book. Alan Richson is brilliant as Jack Reacher, exactly how I imagined the character when I was reading the book. He has the physicality. He can threaten people, but he's not a heartless monster. I haven't decided whether the plot is convoluted or just unnecessarily drawn out. Having read the book, I knew exactly what was going on, but there are a lot of moving parts until it boils down to something quite simple. The fight scenes are a joy to watch. The use of knees, forearms, headbutts, the combat style described in the book, which I've read, is brought to life. In the book, Jack Reacher says that you should never punch anyone 
because there's lots of little bones in your hands that you can break. So you always use the harder parts of your body, like forearm or top of your head. And there's a scene where Jack Reacher headbutts the guy's hand as he's throwing a punch and breaks his hand, which is very cool. Last week when I talked about Pam and Tommy, I said, what's the point of this? Why was it made? So now I feel that I have an obligation to say that this has a point for it to be good, which I won't do every week. I think the point of this or what it seems to be about is following a code, standing up for what you believe is right and being a hero and that there are good people and bad people and bad people need to be struck with a forearm to the side of the head. I'm quite shocked that such a straightforward adaptation with such positive morality has been made. I very much enjoyed this and I hope that they just keep making them, just keep doing this, just keep putting the books into a script and making them. I'm glad to hear that. Is the other point of this to possibly right the wrongs of casting, miscasting Tom Cruise as Reacher in a previous few films, do you think? Is that the other purpose yeah. of it? Yes, it is. Because the Alan Richardson Richton is is massive. He's so jacked. He takes his shirt off a lot as well. He's he's a huge tall man. And they keep they keep referring to him as a as an animal. It's like, who's this animal over here? This giant walking around. They make a thing of the fact that he's so massive. I liked Tom Cruise in Jack Reacher, though. I thought that was good. No, it was, the first one was good. I don't remember the first being so great. Uh, second being so great. But uh, I've only seen two episodes of this and you've persuaded me to carry on because it's not that I wasn't enjoying it. I just thought, I don't get why this is an 8.8 .8 on IMDb. And I started to think maybe it was a lot of the fans finally going, it's not Tom Cruise. Thank you. You've done service to the character. Let's give you a nine. But sounds as though it is worth sticking out. Because like you say, some of the fight scenes as well, they're, they're pretty well choreographed. And I like his wise cracking nature as well. So I think I will see it through. Good to know that it's not in vain. So I think so. Yes. And the supporting cast that I've not mentioned that will only appear in this season because the point of Jack Reacher is that he just moves on to each time. They're all good as well. And it's nice to see his relationships with them develop. Yeah, the woman who plays Roscoe, who I had a bit of a thing for because she was in the TV series of Scream, Willa, I don't know her surname. I read an article this week, a headline of an article saying, Lee Child cries on stage as he discusses Roscoe's no return in Reacher. So he obviously had some sort of attachment to her in this. But yeah. Right, well, that's Reacher and where can we watch it again, James? I know, but, you know. Amazon Prime. Very good. Anything else on that watch list of yours? A briefer one, Murderville on Netflix. Have oh, you yeah. heard of this? Bastard, that's on mine. All right, okay. Carry I'll on. Be brief. Well, I was going to be brief anyway. It's a murder mystery comedy. Each episode is a new murder. The twist is a celebrity guest is investigating and doesn't know what's going to happen. So it's comedy improv where everyone but the guest knows the scenario. At the end, the celebrity guest has to present their case for who they think is the murderer. This is all explained at the beginning of each episode because it's a new idea. The Conan O'Brien and Ken Jong episodes are good because they offer good lines and they start to laugh at things. that They break character, which is funny to watch. It's a good idea. It's almost there. It's like the first series of Kirby Enthusiasm. It's almost there. Most of the celebrities, like Sharon Stone, seem to observe too much and don't really contribute. 
So I want them to make a second season, develop it, improve on everything that they've got, and it could be great. I think I'm of a very similar opinion to to you. I I haven't watched the last episode, so I've only got the first five to judge it off, but I really, really enjoyed the Conan episode. For somebody who's a talk show host, and all right, he's a humorous one, but, you know, he's not, he's not, I would imagine, that up on improv comedy. It seemed to just completely fit him. He really committed to it, I felt, um, and that was the strongest episode for me so far. He actually does have a background in improv comedy from oh, right. way back. That makes far more sense then because he just, I questioned the whole, they don't have a script specifically because of him. Cause I thought he does this too naturally for him not to have a script, but that would make complete sense then. But yeah, standout episode for me, that one, the rest hit and miss. I think it depends which celebrity you get, doesn't it? Yeah. I skipped one because I thought, I just don't, I don't know who she is. She's not offering anything. Just skip it. Just skip to Sharon Stone and Ken Jong. I think I know which one you're referring to. It's some woman from Shit's Creek, which I've never watched. So I was similar to you on that. I do hope yeah. that if they bring it back, they loosen up the structure a bit. It's a bit rigid, isn't it? It's very much, oh, you've got a new partner. Let's interview them. There's been a murder. Let's go and interview the suspects. Who is it? And also yeah. a obligatory Will Arnett will be in your ear and you have to repeat what he's saying every single episode. And it's fine. I did laugh quite a bit. It's it's just pleasant, easy watching, but I just I don't want to see another six episodes that follows that exact formula again. But I did like it. Yeah, yeah. If they can give, I don't know what the direction they gave to the celebrities, but maybe they need to tell them to actually do something. Yeah. Not just stand and, and take notes. Because in the Sharon Stone one, it really seems like she's been told, you just have to figure out what's going on. But she doesn't offer anything funny. I don't know. I felt like she was making an effort, but I do see where you're coming from. Um, anyway, I probably sounded a bit too pessimistic about that. I think if you just want something on in the background, go with it. You might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I agree. I did laugh a few times every episode. What have you been watching? I watched Pam and Tommy. So you gave a very on-the-fence review last week, and we've discussed both you and I, me and you, him and me, the <laughs> the fact that we, we review content on here, but we've not always consumed it in full. So we're going to make a, make a bit more of a commitment to, you know, either I'll watch your content and give my thoughts, or we'll give a follow-up episode review. That's what I'm doing here. So I said I was curious mainly about the transformation of Lily James. So I've watched the first three episodes. And last week I also said I'm very familiar with the tape, very familiar. But I didn't know about the origin of it and how it came to be distributed. That was brand new to me, and I found it a really interesting detail that I'm glad that they spent some time fleshing out with the Seth Rogen character. I am on the same page as you. Um, I think it's watchable, it's very entertaining, and it's probably a bit too early to know what the exact messaging of this will end up being and your point around what is the point in this. I don't know. We'll give another verdict on that later down the line. I did hear another podcast make mention of this, so it's not my observation, but again last week you said how this has been made very much against Pamela Anderson's wishes. And this is obviously about a sex tape coming out with 
not having their consent to do so. So it's very ironic and a bit troublesome that this is doing the very same thing that it seems to be commenting on, which I didn't really think of at the time until someone else highlighted for me. It's a bit hypocritical, isn't it? And the other thing that I've learned is this show does not address darker parts of Tommy Lee's relationship with Pamela Anderson. So, yeah, don't know how much of a full picture we're getting here and whether it's all going to pay off in the end. But I will see it through. I will see it through. Have you watched episode four? No, I've not watched episode four. Have you watched episode four? No, just the first three up to now. Right, okay. Maybe it does get into the darker side of the relationship later on. But, yeah, the the hypocritical consent issue does cast a shadow over it yeah i'm not i don't think i watch anymore <laughs> I don't, all right uh, maybe 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 did you finish watching the responder no which is so weird it's the thing that i've liked the most over the last two months and i've not watched any more episodes i can't explain it um right, okay definitely up there on next to complete alongside reacher i think we simply don't have the time. Yes. The podcast doesn't allow for this. We have to constantly pick new things to review. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a victim yeah. of that. Uh, the, the ending the ending to the responder was a bit disappointing. Well, you've just dampened my excitement on that. What else have you been watching? Chloe or Chloe, which is a new BBC TV show. It's a psychological thriller and it's about a woman who has a very unhealthy obsession with a woman named Chloe. She's, I'm saying that in a Bolton accent, just in case people thought I was being weird. She's constantly reviewing this woman's posts on social media until one day she learns that Chloe has apparently committed suicide. What's the origin of this obsession? We just don't know at the, the beginning. But following this turn of events, she assumes a fake identity and through spinning a very intricate web of lies, she begins to steadily worm her way into the friendship group of this woman. And her reason for doing so is not clearly communicated, so it definitely adds to the mystery and intrigue. The central role played by Erin Doherty, who is best known for, well, probably best known for being a young Princess Anne in The Crown, She's a very complex character. She's clearly very troubled as a a person. And that's because she's pretty much doing nothing other than manipulating everyone around her. And I suppose it's quite a hard balancing act to keep you on side with her because it, it really is a thin line. Most of the time you're thinking, oh, my God, woman, what is wrong with you? You are crazy. But then they make you feel sorry for her due to some of her home circumstances and a difficult relationship she has with her mom. It also helps, I think, for the first few episodes that you are so in the dark with her motivations because they insert a few teases here and there about why she might possibly be hell-bent on connecting with this dead woman's nearest and dearest. And that leads you to believe there's more to it and maybe there's there's a bit of rationale or, or greater good that she's seeking with, with what she's doing. Added to that, there's plentiful other plot threads which add to the tension, and I did find myself, not not literally, but as we often say, on the edge of my seat, and I'm constantly dreading her getting found out and everything crumbling around her, which undoubtedly it will. But um, until that happens, it's a very thrilling and tense show. I've seen four of the six episodes. 
I would probably put this up there with something like Show Trial in terms of it feeling a bit different to your average BBC drama and offering something a bit new. I've very much enjoyed it. However, one thing that has annoyed me through this is this social circle she's trying to get into. They're quite upper class and she tries to convey that she is too. She's from a similar background when actually she's from more of a humble beginnings. But she turns up at these high profile social gatherings in a battered Volkswagen Golf, which I thought, come on, who's buying that? And I know that probably sounds like a snobby thing for me to say. I'm not a car snob in the slightest, but it just doesn't wash with me. It's, it's pushing the realms of believability. Why is no one questioning this? Anyway, I'll update on my final conclusion next week when I finished it. But so far, well worth your time. That's Chloe on BBC iPlayer. I've also watched most of this. I'm halfway through episode five. Are you enjoying it? I'm enjoying it very much. Very much indeed. With Becky, yes, she's a liar, but I've felt quite sympathetic with her throughout. It seems like she's got her reasons for looking into Chloe's disappearance. I was I was more warm on her than you, I think. I think it's just some of the really ridiculous stuff that she does, like trying on someone's clothes when you're in the house of the husband of a dead woman, and it's like, oh, it's really testing my allegiance to you here with some <laughs> the behaviours that you're exhibiting. But I know what you mean. I think that that's why I say it's it's a fine line, but I think they do a good balance of it because I do still feel simple for them. Yeah. I was going to finish this and then talk about it next week and compare it with Inventing Anna. Do you know about Inventing Anna and the Anna Sorokin stuff? Anna Sorokin was a girl who infiltrated a high class social group in america by being a fake heiress oh is this the new thing on netflix with the girl out of ozark yes it is right yes yes do not so anna sorokin also lied to infiltrate this upper class group of people just like becky and it's interesting that these have both come out around the same time and the bbc version of the story is very psychological but the inventing anna netflix story that's more like flashy entertainment. And how psychological will that be? How much will you get into the mind of Anna? Or is it just, oh, look at her drinking champagne on a private jet? Yeah. I was intent on giving that one a go as well. But if you're reviewing it next week, I'll leave it to you. That's all I've been watching. Okay. It's award season, James, which means repetitive real news. It's the real thing. It is now... Real, real news, news. We don't want to ear bash you with awards content. No one really cares, but we are somewhat obliged to mention it at the very least. So last week we discussed the BAFTAs. This week we've got Oscar nominations out. A few surprises in store. The biggest one probably being Lady Gaga not nominated for Best Actress. Say what? James, are you shocked, appalled, have no feelings? What is it? I have no reaction at all. I'm just showing my poker face and you can't read, can't read, can't read my poker face. My poker <laughs> face. Um, <laughs> that, is a, that is a shock. It seemed guaranteed. Guaranteed. I've just clicked on Oscar nominations, but it's actually a video. 
If you just go on the Wikipedia thing, it just lists them all very nicely under the 94th Academy Awards thing. Right. I've, I find I'm, I've got it. I've got it. BBC, BBC News. The thing with Oscar nominations is it is difficult just to find a list. Yeah, they don't I make don't it want, easy. I don't want surrounding commentary. I just I want to see the list so that we can provide the surrounding commentary <laughs> in a podcast. Um, rightly so. Once again, good to see Coda recognised. Our film of the year. In one sense, but then in another, and I, I'm sorry we keep bringing her up, but she was the breakout star of last year. Amelia Jones shafted for Best Actress, not even on there. I don't care about yeah. Lady Gaga. I saw both performances. She should be on that list. Appalling. Yes, that's right. I agree. But when you look at the Best Actress list, you think, well, in Oscar terms, I suppose those, those performances are more Oscar-worthy, which isn't to say they're better. I'm choosing my words very carefully. They're Oscar, Oscar-friendly. Yeah. I can't say I'm familiar with Penelope Cruz in Parallel Mothers. I'd never even heard of that film until now. don't know what that is. Me neither. There we go. You, once again, vindicated with numerous nominations for Belfast, including Best Director and Best Picture. So, yeah, wrong. And Don't Look Up appears yet again. So not an anomaly with the BAFTAs. It seems it's gone down a treat with with whatever the hell they're called. I forget. What are they called? The Academy, American Academy of Motion Picture Arts. Something yeah, like that. but the, the, the called something. Anyway, them lot. Bloody loving Don't Look Up. Um, and I'll tell you what, I've not actually told you, well, I don't know why I would, it's not that interesting. Nightmare Alley on this list. After we spoke about it last week, I've done my obligatory go and leave it a rating on IMDb. And I give it an eight, which means it's actually almost confirmed that it's going to be in my top five at the end of the year. So I'm a lot more hot on that now than I was when we first started discussing it. I've reflected and I like it even more. Interesting. Interesting. I think you should watch Power of the Dog, though, because I think that's going to win a lot. I watch really it now. I really don't fancy it. I will, though. Because I will. Western, you hate Westerns, don't you? But I, th- I think it will at least win Best Director. Okay, I'll give it a go. And, sorry, last one we'll mention. Despite being such a despicable, not very likable person, the character, not the actor, Andrew Garfield nominated for Tick, Tick, Boom, which we were quite harsh on as a film so but his performance both of us agreed it was great so yes good to see yeah will smith will win though do you think i only say that because on the on the bbc discussion about it they had this critic on and said will smith will win he's gonna win she said it with such confidence maybe she's uh it's one of the people in the know yeah it was she made it seem like it's one of them where it's his time oh yeah he's never won has he yeah it's a shoe in then Right, other news. Uncharted reviews are starting to, to seep out. There's only like five on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got 70%. But in the UK press, who always speak the truth, things like the, the Times, Telegraph, Guardian, they're giving it two stars. They're hammering it. They're saying that it doesn't capture the feelings of the games. Tom Holland miscast. Mark Wahlberg miscast. And that people are going to watch it and say, what's the big deal with Uncharted? But I don't think anyone was excited for this. If you were to look at, say, top comments on YouTube trailers or on Instagram, the general sort of mood is this isn't going to be very good. This is cheap and it's a mistake. Am I right in saying 
that originally Mark Wahlberg was supposed to play Nathan Drake. Yes, in 2010. Right, okay, yeah. And now he's playing Sully, who he looks nothing like. That would have been my top comment on the YouTube video, is Tom Holland looks nothing like Nathan Drake, and Mark Wahlberg looks nothing like Sully. Um, <laughs> the Independent, one sentence review. Abandon hope, all ye enter here. There truly is no future for the video game to movie adaptation if Hollywood can't even crack Uncharted. And you know what? This is just so... It's like a shoe-in of an adaptation. The games are that cinematic. There really is no excuse. You could just lift and shift from video game to film every single scene. And for me, it would work. It's so good, the cutscenes within those games. It's yeah. bad that they've not nailed it with this. It's also for that reason that you can't do a film version because the cinematic adaptation of Uncharted is Uncharted. Like It already exists. Yeah, but would you not find it mildly acceptable that, you know, not a big portion of today's society are video gamers? So for them, just give them that. Just do a complete copy and paste job and then they've got an outlet to may maybe draw people in that way. Non-video gamers, here's exactly what you're missing out on. And we've added nothing extra. I don't know. I'm just, it could have been the new Indiana Jones of this era, but it's not going to be, is it, by the sounds of it? Just like Tomb Raider. It could have been, yeah. The, still, the best video game adaptation is Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which is actually an adaptation of Metal Gear Solid. Look into it. Look into it. The second appearance of Metal Gear Solid on this film podcast in two weeks. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had that thought independently in my head, looked it up. Someone's already made a YouTube video about it. Stole my thunder years ago. Look it up, look it up. The influence of that game is far and wide, isn't it? Yep. In The Co Apprentice, in The Apprentice episode last oh, week. Oh, come on, made, you're pushing it now. When they made a, this, when they made the video game, did you notice that one of the game designers was wearing a Metal Gear Solid T-shirt? Oh, no, I didn't, actually. So, there you go. It was a little bit cringe, that, wasn't it? The whole Alan Sugar being made into a video game character. I don't know if they were really going for, oh, this looks cool, but epic fail, if you ask me. I think it was, was tongue-in-cheek <laughs> that he was doing all the cliche cool stuff. Real news, that's what we're doing. Um. <laughs> and he was in a spacesuit in that, wasn't he? He was, yep. Which, do you know what I'm going to say? Yep. Oh, I don't, I don't. So go on, help me with a segue. Alan Sugar had better keep his spacesuit on because he might need to fly into space to avoid the latest global disaster from Ronald Emmerich. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the hours, here are some hours. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Moonfall. If you're watching this thing, you know by now a huge problem is heading our way. An emergency meeting is being called at our usual place immediately. Free bagels. I've made a shocking discovery. I need you to get me in touch with NASA immediately. Well, NASA and I aren't really on speaking terms these days. Well, that'll change. When you tell them that the moon is out of orbit. There's no need to panic. 
not crazy! Why are they lying about all this? It's too late to stop. You knew all this was happening before NASA. You are the unidentified source? Oh, yes. We're dealing with an intelligent entity. We're planning a mission to attack this thing. I'm asking you for your help. Say yes, Brian. I need you to be brave. If the moon really is what you think it is, suit up. I see the moon you have got a big gravity wave coming your way. You have to launch now. Did he say gravity wave? I see trouble on the way. We're underwater, guys. A mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit around Earth and sends it hurtling on a collision course with life as we know it. James, we went to cinemas to watch this. What did you think about it? I had a lot to say about Reacher because I felt like I didn't have much to say about Moonfall. But here we go anyway. I was fully prepared to go in, turn off my brain and enjoy just like Red Notice and Free Guy, we're not above popcorn films on this podcast. We even forgave Army of the Dead, but then quickly took it back due to backlash. And it's a Roland Emmerich film, and his films are good sometimes, maybe not for a long time <laughs> at all. And I learned from the Mark Commode review, who stole a lot of what I was going to say, that this isn't actually an independent film, technically. The plot is a mad rush of predictable events. The first doomed space crew, they're up on the moon in the first half an hour. It goes from, we've discovered this thing about the moon, send a space crew up immediately. It happens so fast. They say the moon will fall in three months, and someone says, no, it's changing because of the gravity. It's actually three weeks. I don't get that at all, but that speaks to how rushed it all is. We have a shuttle from China. Let's go. We don't need to wait for anything. Everything will just happen immediately to keep the film moving forward. It seems to have been written by an algorithm, this film. And the reason that I'm thinking about that is because I watched a video about the dead internet theory that was a very lengthy theory poster 4chan a few years ago about how the internet is not what it once was, and there's a lot of bots roaming the internet. And one of the deeper things in this theory is that films are actually written by algorithms in modern times, but Hollywood is covering it up and pretending to write films. And if you look up, there is one film released a few years ago that was written by algorithm. And there's an article on The Verge from May 2019 that's a really good article. Please read it. It's called Hollywood is quietly using AI to help decide which movies to make. I was going to say, you can really tell that you struggled with having a lot to say about this film, <laughs> but I am actually finding it interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went down the AI rabbit hole and then Moonfall appears and it's like, this was written by AI. Like no human being actually wrote this. They just input disaster elements, space, references to AI something about china to get the chinese audience it was it's all just so haphazardly assembled and the dialogue is so robotic that you i can't believe a human was involved in actually making this but it has been made and i think it's as 
it's as bad as the negative reviews say, in my opinion. There is one flaw that I'd like to point out that I haven't seen pointed out is that normally in disaster movies, you want to follow the main character like Will Smith in Independence Day or a Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds. And they're at the center of the disaster as it's all happening. Like buildings, the world is falling around them and you want them to survive. In this case, the main characters, John Bradley, Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry, they're up in space. So as the disastrous impact of the moonfall is happening on Earth and all the meteorites are crashing down, that's happening to the supporting cast that we don't care about at all. The main three, they're relatively safe up in space. So that doesn't, it doesn't really work on that fundamental disaster movie level. For the disaster parts that do happen, it has no impact, literally. There's a key moment where one of the sons that we don't care about, they're trying to go somewhere in the mountains. And they look, they looked off to the side and there's a shot of a moon piece that flies into a mountain, just a random mountain, and a big shockwave comes off it. Cut back to the character and there's no impact from that shockwave. There's nothing. There's no, no effect at all. Yeah. And he just turns away and keeps going where he's going. So what's, there's, what's the point of anything then? They're just looking at these things hit mountains and carrying on what they're doing. It, it's really odd. It doesn't offer any meaningful destruction. They tried to have a, a car chase. There's this whole subplot with those bandits that are trying to rob one of the supporting characters. Why are those bandits so focused on that kid? It's like they've it's like they've entered a, a state of um, apocalyptic narrow mindedness. Yeah, narrow mindedness and like resource depletion. The a sight of a car with fuel in it is this really big deal. Like uh, Comet McCarthy's The Road, but it's only been a few weeks, so there's probably still lots of stuff everywhere. But they chase after this one kid in his car, and they're driving along, and someone says, "Oh." We need to like outrun the gravity pull or something. So as everything else is rising up around them, their car is still on the... It just doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. The main cast then. It's nice to see John Bradley from Game of Thrones in a big film, and he's not just comic relief. He's one of the main characters. John Bradley is to Moonfall, as Jeff Goldblum is to Independence Day. Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry, I do like both of them, but I think they're phoning it in. All the material just isn't there for them to do anything memorable. Daniel, what did you think of Moonfall? I thought I was being harsh. Um, I'm not a big Roland Emmerich fan, but he does have some absolute classics in his back catalogue. Independence Day, a hugely influential film for me at the time. Blowing up the White House, Alien Invasions. Will Smith at the height of his fame. Brilliant. Also, don't know if you remember, do you remember The Patriot with Mel Gibson? I forgot he'd done that. I loved that film. I've not seen it since it was released on video. Yes, video. But I remember liking it at the time. And even, do you know what? Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick version, I had a lot of fun with that at the time. But then you look at some of the more recent things that people have less affection for, like The Day After Tomorrow, 10,000 BC, 2012. And you, you realise that this is very much a film roulette sort of director and you're never sure what you're going to get so i definitely had some reservations with this i'll say straight off the bat because you've already spoiled it really it's a pretty stupid film 
And I think it knows it's stupid to an extent. And it tries to make you know that they know that that's the case by peppering in this pretty cheap humour, which is mainly channeled through one character. And that character is the John Bradley character that you mentioned, Casey Houseman, that he plays. He's an eccentric British conspiracy theorist, and he's the constant source of comic relief in it. Whether it is a relief, as opposed to just ongoing pain, is subjective, and I think he's on very shaky ground, if you ask me, when it comes to his character. Some people will love him, and others will curse the fact that he exists. And I'm somewhere in the middle on this. I had this weird sort of reaction where I know nothing about this guy other than he was in Game of Thrones and a few other things. And I thought, wow, he's sharing the screen and as much of the screen time-wise with Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson, this must be a huge deal to a guy from Manchester to just come out of pretty much obscurity and be this big of a thing in this film. But that was kind of the extent he just grated on me, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> speaking of them uh, two, Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry, I thought they were fine. I didn't think they were phoning it in. I'm not saying they're exceptional performances, but I think they weren't just lazily going with it. They put a bit of effort in, just a bit. And even though there is that level of commitment, it doesn't help hide what is an absolutely atrocious script. And there's some really questionable character choices, which means you have to accept that logic and common sense don't exist in this fictional universe. It's not a thing. So, for example, at the midway point of the film, Halle Berry is introduced to the John Bradley character. And it's understood that he is the reason that this crisis has been leaked to the press. She acknowledges that and says it herself. And five seconds later proceeds to tell him highly classified information <laughs> for what is going on. Um, the, the questionable decisions extend to that of the director as well, I would think, um, because the best thing I can say is that this is watchable and up to like 20 minutes in, it's got a nice pace to it. You know, the characters are introduced, it's quite fluid, it's serving its purpose, and I mildly enjoyed it, but then it's the very thing that you alluded to. You then get like a, a two-minute montage of news clips, riots happening, and then suddenly we're on the moon, and it did come out of nowhere, and I thought, they've just literally gone, we've done the exposition, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> I just thought, what's going on? Anyway, speaking of being in space, I didn't know that that was going to be like a... Uh, we, we do spend quite a bit of time in space, but I thought the majority of it would be there, given the title Moonfall. I didn't anticipate this, these Earth disaster scenes. And I do think some of the peril the characters find themselves in on Earth that plays out parallel to the space stuff that's going on. It just broke up the tension I didn't care about either because I don't spend enough time in one place rather than the other. It's too flits about too much. Um, but having said that, call me morbid, but I do like to see a bit of mass destruction and all of that looked very good from a CGI standpoint. So it does have somewhat redeeming qualities. It's not a complete and utter mess. For all its flaws, I'm thinking, you know, this is a reasonably pleasant switch your brain off, except the absurdity action film. And it felt a bit like a throwback film that you don't see anymore or at least not a film with this level of budget. I was surprised to learn from you that it's independent because I think it cost about 150 million. But 
that is there on the screen. Again, however, in the final 20, no, half an hour, 40 minutes of the film, it goes completely off the rails by trying to overcomplicate things and they introduce another element. So much so that I stopped listening to all the characters speaking and I couldn't tell you what any of it was about. I really don't know whether I'm going to recommend this film because if I do, it would be a, if you are bored out of your mind and you've nothing else to do, then yes, I recommend it, which should not be a recommend. But there, yeah, there you go. That's my feelings on Moon 4. Maybe I was a bit too harsh on Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry. They weren't falling in. I think as I'd seen Halle Berry in Bruised, where she's fully making an effort mm. in this. I think she's she's so good that it comes easily to her to just turn up and, and do this. With the with the family, I actually cared so little that I didn't really get who was whose family. Because I can see you have Patrick see yeah, you have Patrick Wilson and his estranged wife who is with a, a new man. But Halle Berry also has a, an estranged husband. Or are they estranged? And he's in the mil- he's in the military. Right? That was not clear to me. I didn't know if they'd broken up or what. No idea. I, I didn't get it again. It's it's like written by AI. They've mixed up. They've got two of the they've got two of the same thing in there. But then Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry they also talk to each other as though they have a, a fracturous past relationship. Like there are scenes where it seems like they used to be together as well. But I think they just used to work together. It just gets, I I was just, I was confused. But because I didn't care at all, I was just thinking, hang on, who's, who are they talking to? Who are these people down on earth getting blown up? So I was going to ask you in spoilers, but it's not a spoiler. I seem to get the impression that the the humor somewhat worked for you, especially with the John Bradley character, or is that pushing it a bit? No, no, it didn't work. No. Come on, how can you not find a cat that's called Fuzz Aldred funny? <laughs> he not... finds out that the um, the orbit of the moon has changed, right? And he discovers it like it's something no one else knows. So I, I have to tell people. But then it's immediately discovered by NASA as well. Mm. So that cancels itself out. And the issue that it gets into is, are we going to tell the public, which is fine, but it's not really the case that John Bradley's character discovers it ahead of everyone else. You know, like Independence Day, Jeff Goldblum, I think he he discovers something, but no one will listen. And there's a lot of things like that in the other films where it's like, just listen to this rogue scientist. If someone would listen to this one guy, everything will be okay. And it's like they're going to do that with John Bradley, but then NASA know about it anyway. It does invalidate a bit. I think the purpose is to just give him some sort of credence to, to say oh he he knows what he's talking about otherwise why would he have known this before anyone else but the other thing that i don't get about that is he discovers it on the computer of a professor who has access to this stuff so is he intelligent or is he literally just got into someone else's computer and found out something that they were going to find out anyway that wasn't clear to me i, don't, I really don't know yeah i think it's implied that he regularly gets into that guy's computer yeah, but it's surely his job to just be doing that stuff anyway. I don't know. It doesn't. Make oh, sense. right. So you think the, the right the professor with access to the same data would realize it? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> no, it really doesn't. It, it doesn't make. It doesn't make sense because they tried to do this thing of he's he he understands the conspiracy of the moon, but then everyone else does as well. So what's the big deal? Yeah. 
Oh, you're right, though, about the dialogue. I wish I'd written it down. There is something near the end. This isn't a spoiler, but they're on about organic life forms. And somebody comments and says, what, us? And then as if that's not bad enough, he follows it up with humans? As if to just say, us equals humans, in case you didn't get it. it I was like, what are we watching here? It's just unbelievable, some of the dialogue in this. Anyway, put that in your yeah. pipe and smoke it. That's another line. Another another key scene of, of laziness and, and really poor directing and dialogue. Patrick Wilson's son is in the car with this woman. I've got no idea who she was, but she was in the film. She's Halle Berry's daughter. The Chinese one? Yeah. He shows his um, Chinese writing tattoo and she and the daughter says, oh, that says fried chicken or something. Oh, it says hemorrhoids. And the, the son does an extremely mild, surprised reaction, a very timid look of surprise. And the daughter says, oh, you should have seen your face. <laughs> so he doesn't even react that much. And then her saying, look at your face, it's very robotically delivered. It's, it's so bad. Uh, I, did, I did laugh when I wasn't supposed to at this film quite a few times, though. So, you know, maybe you'll get joy out of it in that way. We, we've already given this film far longer than it deserves in terms of a discussion. So yeah. do you have anything else before we get to... We, no, before we recommend and then get to spoilers? No, no more, no more. James, do you recommend Moonfall? I think this film had potential with its cast and its director, and it is with regret that I'm struggling with what to say about this film i think it did have some good special effects like you say the comic relief was there and it's for that reason that i'm struggling to decide whether or not to recommend it i think in the end based on everything that we've talked about the the poor the poor script and the poor story i have to say that moonfall is with regret i do not recommend see what he did there yeah daniel would you recommend moonfall there is a weird fun to be had with it that's what i'm struggling with it is without a doubt an atrocious film it is littered with problems but i did still have and a a bit of fun with it i really don't know i'm not putting my credibility on the line again no it's no (laughs) i'm not recommending it okay let's go into spoilers Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Before you give a full rundown of what happens, James, I've got to say the biggest spoiler in this film was the realisation that I've been singing the lyrics to Toto's Africa wrong for the last 20-odd years. That was the biggest spoiler for me. Did you know it was I Bless the Rains Down in Africa? Yes. What does he think it is? I guess the rain... I guess the rain's down in Africa. That's what I've always sung for all these years. Yeah. Not important, but that was my well, I've, takeaway. I've, I've, I've realised that I, I actually really struggled my whole life to understand song lyrics. All right, okay. Like there are songs that I know and like, but I don't actually know what is being said. You mean literally the words? or like The literal words, I can't tell what they're saying. Like, meat loaf, not a dry eye in the house. He says, not a dry eye in the house. After love's curtain comes down. Something, something, something. 
the ending's just too sad to take. For year, years, 20-odd years, I've, I've just never got that he was saying the ending's just too sad to take. But I've never looked it up either. <laughs> I've just listened to the song and I've not known what he said. I don't think you're the only one in, in that boat. I think this was more of a, I was convinced that was the words. I hadn't just gone, oh, it sounds like this. That's probably what it is. And I hadn't bothered. I was convinced. So anyway, we're dwelling again on something pretty minuscule, but because this film's not worth talking about, but yeah. we probably should anyway, for those yeah. that made the effort. Billions of years ago in a different galaxy, human beings had a highly advanced civilization that was run by AI, artificial intelligence, just in case you know what AI stands for, which is what the film actually says. One day the AI went rogue and used uh, nanomachines to turn into a big smoke monster and destroy all of human civilization in a distant galaxy. The surviving humans escaped from their home planet and they made these giant spheres, these, these Dyson spheres, to go off into the universe and seed new life. One of these spheres is our moon. So our moon arrived in our galaxy. Lost already. And it created planet Earth, and it, and it seeded human life on Earth. Are you doing this from memory? Yes. Oh, my God, you're blowing my mind. Carry on. <laughs> Fast forward to today, the evil smoke monster AI, by some mysterious propulsion system that it doesn't actually have, finds its way to our moon, and it's trying to find that human. It's trying to find human life to destroy, and the moon, which is an, which is a spaceship basically, gets thrown off orbit by this smoke monster and begins to fall down to Earth. So then the main characters fly up into the moon, literally inside the moon. They discover everything I've just said in a big exposition dump and they defeat the smoke monster and then the moon goes back into its orbit. So impressed. So impressed. Well, you paid a lot more attention than I did. I'll tell you that much. One of the things I wanted to ask you, the whole extraterrestrial element to this, do you think that purely exists to avoid the mention of the words Armageddon ripoff being said? Possibly, of, yeah, yeah. Because it, otherwise, it's the same, isn't it? It felt a bit too much for me. I, I, I could have happily done away with that whole thing. Just have it being about saving the moon, and you could have had a thirty-minute shorter film that was probably a bit more entertaining. Still bonkers, though. But anyway, that whole exposition-heavy bit at the end—it really irks me that they used a kid to give that whole backstory. It made it sound pathetic yeah yeah i mean it was badly written anyway but the very fact that it's coming out very unnaturally from a child actor just added to how awful it was um it was a that's a, it was a huge error a huge error imagine a child delivering the opening monologue of the lord, lord of the rings <laughs> um, yeah it was so, it was so key to the whole film but it fell completely flat even though it was bad, another thing that is bad, did it not rem uh, did it not remind you of the same sort of thing in the Eternals? It yes, felt like it was so similar that I couldn't help but be reminded of it. Equally non impactful though, unless it didn't exist. <sighs> 
this has the balls to set itself up for a sequel. Yeah, uh, Moonfall 2, Fall of the Moon. <laughs> so I've got, I've got that written down, that joke. I don't think it's setting up for it. Well, I hope it's not setting up for a sequel. I think it could work as just, should I explain what we're actually talking about? John Bradley heroically sacrifices himself to get the moon back into orbit or to kill the smoke monster. But no his idea. consciousness is uploaded into the moon ship. And the moon's AI says to him, now let's get started. And it cuts to credits. I'm not having a go at you, by the way, but you just sound mad if you try and tell people what this film's about. <laughs> were you surprised to learn that aliens were involved? Because in the first scene, when they're attacked 10 years in the past, when they're attacked by something, it's obviously not a natural force. It's aliens. So did you recognise that? And then were you then not surprised at all when it turned out aliens are involved? No, I didn't. But I'll confess that I was more interested. And this is at the point where I was all for this film in the bag of Joe and Steph's caramel salted popcorn that I'd just acquired. And I possibly wasn't looking at the screen. Okay. Well, I did. (laughs) So I was just waiting for the aliens to, to show up. But there was a twist upon a twist was that there were there were two alien forces. There was the smoke monster, but they weren't actually the original controller of the moon. So that was a surprise. Yeah. I didn't care. I didn't care, though. The way that that all kind of unfolds as well from a conspiracy perspective is that the acting director of NASA at the time gives over his ID clearance badge to Halle Berry because surely that's normal protocol. Don't get your own card and switch access. Just go down the route of what I can see my company doing and just go and just take my card, scan that at the door. I don't think NASA are that lapsed when it comes to security. I really don't. No, definitely not. And when she does go down to security and sees the, the old guy, he says, you shouldn't be down here. But anyway, keep, keep, keep being down here and look up all the secrets that you want with that card that's not yours, because we need to keep the film moving. <sighs> I, I dare say I think this is the most that we've tore a film apart for a good while, so that must say something about it. Yeah. Um, Do you remember Mission to Mars, starring Gary Sinise? Has that got Val Kilmer in it as well? No. In which case, the name rings a bell, but no. Right, Mission to Mars has actually has a very similar ending to this. Mission to Mars is completely forgotten. It's directed by Brian De Palma. But the ending of Mission to Mars, when they get to Mars, Garrison East meets aliens in a perfectly sterile, clean environment, and the aliens deliver exposition to him. It's exactly the same as the end of Moonfall. Which supports the theory that this has been written by AI, even yes. more so. Yep. Or Quentin Tarantino, because he's just a thief of everything that exists. Anyway, yeah, another listener lost there. Right, I've nothing more to say. Do you? Nope. No, I don't. Right, let's move on to hopefully greater things. James, what are we reviewing next week? If you know, we've got a choice between Death on the Nile and Uncharted. So maybe we'll decide over the next few days. Yes, let's once again leave it on a cliffhanger, but with more detail this week. Yeah. Um, Right, well, thank you very much for bearing with us and listening to the end of this podcast, if you did. If you wish to leave us any feedback and 
support us, you can do so by emailing us at inthealspodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at inthealspodcast. As ever, leave us a five-star review and rating. It does help. James, do you have any words of advice for those possibly thinking of venturing into space? It's a very specific, putting you on the spot, that as well. It's worse than normal. Download Netflix content onto your phone because you will lose 4G reception eventually. I don't think you've ever given more, what's the word I'm looking for? Practical, sincere. Yeah, advice than that. William Shatner, bet he didn't do that. (laughs) 